Welcome to the Suicide Prevention and Awareness Podcast, part of CBP's Shine a Light Suicide Prevention Program. Today, we are talking with Anne, an agricultural specialist, and Dr. Kent Corso, a clinical psychologist specializing in suicide prevention. Anne discusses how she had an attempt at age 18 and how she was able to turn her life around to help herself and others. Hi, and welcome to our monthly podcast. Thanks so much for joining us today and to our guests for being with us. Just a few caveats before we get going. I am a clinical psychologist, so I am a doctor, but I'm not the doctor for our guest. This isn't therapy or counseling, nor is anything we talk about today going to involve or constitute medical advice. This is just a conversation. Another disclaimer is that suicide is a difficult topic to talk about. It's not one that we can discuss vaguely or indirectly if we hope to make a difference. So for our listeners out there, we are going to have a frank conversation today. If by any chance you have lived experience or you are triggered, if anything we discuss is upsetting or distressing to you, please reach out for help. Reach out to those who care for you and love you and reach out to those who you love. If you're a CBP employee or family member and you need help, you can always contact a peer support member, chaplain, or veteran support member, or you can reach out to our employee assistance program. If you are not a CBP employee, you can always call 1-800-273-8255, which is the National Suicide Lifeline. Today, our guest is Anne. Thanks so much for being with us, Anne. Why don't you introduce yourself? Thank you for having me. Um, my name is Anne. I'm an agriculture specialist with OFO, and I'm glad to be here. Our topic for the July podcast is attempt survivors. These are people who have attempted suicide in the past and actually lived to tell about it. Since I've been at CBP, which is slightly over a year, I have been looking for folks who are willing to tell their story. And I am so grateful, Anne, that you are willing to talk a little bit about your story and your struggle with suicide and having attempted suicide. I'm happy to do it. What I'm hopeful is that this will maybe reach somebody in the agency or outside the agency as well who's struggling. My suicide attempt was as an 18-year-old, I ended up taking some over-the-counter medication that I knew from my research was going to cause liver failure in large quantities. and. Fortunately, I was found and was able to receive treatment before the situation became really terrible. But I just want to offer up to anybody who might be struggling out there, you know, that they are definitely worthy of getting help. They are worthy of feeling better. And that something that that was told to me once was no feeling is final so don't let the that sort of thing be the final feeling for you i think that's such a great way to say it is no feeling is final it says to me whatever you're experiencing there's always something to come there's always more that life has to offer that you might be able to do or see or become can you take us back to that day, and or maybe that week, as it was leading up to the suicide, maybe 
talk a little bit about your thought process as you were grappling with this, maybe even tell us a little bit about your research, not necessarily the details, but how you started researching ways to do it. Because one thing we do know is when people think about killing themselves, it's a very personal thing to choose the method. And people often do some deep thinking about it. Well, for me, I was an incoming freshman in college. So this is some 20 years ago, 20 plus years ago. And I was struggling, had been struggling for the past several, several years with major depressive disorder and obsessive compulsive disorder. And I just at the, the orientation at college, I ended up being asked to write uh, an, an in-class essay on what liberal arts meant to me. And I thought, I've never heard such BS. And I just couldn't, I couldn't stomach it. That was the straw that broke the camel's back. I said, I cannot do this anymore. I cannot play this game. I can't make it up anymore. And I, I can't pretend that everything is fine when everything is not fine. And I looked around the room and everyone else was busily writing and I was absolutely furious. And so I wrote something down. And when I went back to my room in the dorm, I said, this is it. I've had it. I was without a car. So I had very, and I was in a small town. So I had limited, fortunately for me, I, from this vantage point, I had limited means at my disposal. So I went with what was available. And as I said, I knew from research that that was going to, in large quantities, be lethal. One thing that always resonates with me when I take the annual training in our online training courses about suicide prevention is that what people who are suicidal need absolutely more than anything else is time to change their mind. That's a fantastic message there, Anne, is that what they need is time. It really goes along with your statement that no feeling is final. Yeah, yeah, I think absolutely. It's something that you can grapple with and you can be on the precipice, but you don't have to go over. When I woke up, the major emotion that I had was I was profoundly disappointed that I was still alive. And, you know, it's like, well, dang, that didn't work. And I guess if I had allowed it to proceed farther, you know, at some point it would have. But it was kind of like, okay, I have to res resume this mantle of responsibility and, and deal with whatever's going on in my life. That's so interesting. So you're, we call it the post-attempt response or the post-survival response, that immediate thought and feeling people have when they come to awareness that they are still alive and they had just attempted to kill themselves and, and that they're still alive. It is an important predictor of future risk. And it's so interesting the way you say you were disappointed at first but it sounds like your brain fairly quickly said, okay, well, I guess I need to take responsibility for some other things. So that is such an incredible example of how humans adapt. We try something, it doesn't work. And then we think of another way to get to the destination. But in this sense, 
you didn't try to get to the same destination of ending your life. You actually thought of another way to continue living, to tackle what was bothering you, to tolerate it, to persist and overcome it. Yes. Yes. And I think, you know, it's, we are incredibly resilient creatures and not to say that, you know, the past 27 years have been without challenge, certainly, but but generally speaking, they've been pretty good. And I think that it's really important to remember that most days we cope really well. You know, most days we're managing just fine. And on the tough days, you know what? We're still managing. Maybe not as well, but we're still managing. That's such a optimistic, hopeful, positive disposition and I, I can't imagine that's what just popped in your head after you woke up in the hospital and we're talking to that nurse. So how do you get there? How do you get from a place of, I really just wanted it to end. I'm disappointed that it didn't end. And now all of a sudden you're in this place that you're able to put it in perspective, no matter how bad the day is, your mind doesn't go to that place again, where you say, maybe I should really kill myself. Well, for me, it's a matter of you know, it's a multi-pronged approach. I take medication, which works really well. I have a longtime counselor who I view as one of the mentors in my life. And I have a lot of family support and a lot of just a really robust support structure that I have built up in the last 27 years. So I'm hearing you say professional help, both medication and counseling. I'm also hearing you say social support. Yes. That's really helpful to know because you wear a uniform and you are a federal employee and you are still employed despite having a suicide attempt at the age of 18 and being on medication and seeking help and all of these things that people would often think are career enders. They are just a part of your life and you keep things in perspective, which is such a testament, Anne, to the idea that none of us are perfect. We've all got strengths and weaknesses. We all have our struggles and stressors. And just that nature of being human does not mean we can't be successful. Exactly. You know, I've been with the agency for a number of years now, and I've received some pretty impressive accolades at this point in my career. And as we discussed earlier, as you said, you know, it wasn't a consolation prize. <laughs> right. It's not like somebody said, oh, this poor girl who tried to kill herself, let's give her a pat on the head. It's based on the quality of my work. Right. And, and again, that is such a great testament. You are doing high quality work. In other words, people can have this stuff that they experience and still perform because they're getting help right? Yeah. It's, yeah. it's the fact that they get help that enables them to perform at their, their highest potential. Right, right. It's so important to seek assistance when you get to that really dark place. And maybe even before you get to that dark place. Yes. And there's a metaphor that I came up with, you know, when you fly on the plane, and they're going through the safety checks before you push back from the gate. And they tell you, if you're traveling with a child or someone who's otherwise, you know, young or, or old or impaired, and we lose cabin pressure, put the mask on yourself first, 
And so the metaphor is that you got to put the mask on yourself first because you're not going to do any good to anybody else if you are incapacitated. Exactly. If you're incapacitated, you're unable to help those around you. You're also unable to take responsibility for yourself, right? They want you to put on the mask so you can also do any other direction or instruction that is delivered by the flight attendant, by the pilot, by those who are in charge. Exactly. Just want to return to one thing you said. You talked about how people need time. You mentioned no feeling is final. And you talked about putting your oxygen mask on first. Those are three fantastic pearls of wisdom from someone who has lived with this experience and really has learned from it, right? I'd like to think so. You know, sometimes if there is some little phrase or some hook that you can you can hang on to, that's all it takes. That's all you need for a start, at least. Some sort of a mantra or something that you say to keep yourself going. One of my mentors, her version of it is it came to pass, which means, you know, yes, it's happening, but not to stay. That's great. And especially if it's hardship, it came to pass, but not to stay. Exactly. Yeah. That's sort of like this too shall pass, right? That old phrase. Right. And one last thing before we go, when we were talking about your story in preparation for this podcast, you mentioned that shortly after your attempt, someone needed your help and you very quickly sprung into action to help them. Can you talk about that for maybe 30 seconds? Yes. I had a very close friend who had also made a serious suicide attempt shortly after mine. And when I learned that, I immediately realized that I really needed to kind of resume operations and take care of that person. And I think that that's kind of my purpose in life is is to be responsible and to take care of people. Right. And, and that is what we know about suicide. When people are seriously thinking of killing themselves, it's often because their meaning in life, their purpose in life, sometimes their self-identity, it's been rattled or jeopardized or somehow compromised, or they're just so overwhelmed that they lose that sense of meaning and purpose. It's as if they cannot pursue that meaning and purpose in life because all of this stuff is in the way. And so it's so great to hear that what happened shortly after your attempt was that you found something to live for, for lack of a better word. You found some reason to keep working through the adversity, through the things that were bothering you so much, and look at how that has resulted, right, with you here today. Well, and I think just in closing, I'd, I'd like to add, I think that when things get dangerous is when we feel backed into a corner and don't ever feel backed into a corner. You always have options. You may not like the options, but you always have options. For me, the option was leaving college for a couple of years, which worked out really well, but you are never without options. That's a great way to say it because we know that it, that is an adaptive mindset. Thank you so much, Anne. Really appreciate you. Thank you, Kent. This is part of our ongoing podcast series for suicide prevention and awareness. If you see someone struggling, say something. Asking them about suicidal thoughts may feel awkward, 
but you can help reduce suicide risk at home and in the workplace by tolerating that awkwardness. Simply ask, how can I help? And then just listen to the person. Make sure you ask them if they're thinking of ending their life. It really does make a difference. Thank you again to our guests. I really appreciate you. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in. We'll speak to you again on our next episode.